We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. The Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. How, how many makers and cokes have you had? We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports, partnered with 440 Sports. I am Justin Graver, and joining me, as always, is the newly verified on Twitter, Justin <laughs> Mello. Congratulations, my friend. What's up? Thank thank you so much. Uh, feel, I feel official now, finally. So, no, I mean, it's nice, It's definitely nice to have, but excited to get into this episode. We got, we got some fun topics to talk about. There's not a lot happening but as we always do, you and I, there are some fun things to talk about. This is as good as it gets when it comes to Titans analysis, and I'm excited for this episode. Absolutely. I'm, I'm calling this episode Summer Break because the Titans have just broke for the summer, and it kind of has that summer break feel now. Titans minicamp was this week, June 15th through 17th, ended on Thursday the 17th. And that means the players won't be back until mid-July when the rookies report first, and then a week later, the rest of the team reports uh, at the towards the end of July. So the players get a nice big break here. Ryan Tannehill mentioned that they're going to meet up to work out, but for the most part, they're getting away and clearing their mind. And so we're going to talk about our takeaways from, from the reports out of minicamp this week, and particularly the press conferences. But first, we have some news. The Titans signed a uh, cornerback, Kevin Peterson, and they cut Justice Reed. And uh, your thoughts on this bottom of the depth chart, back end roster depth signing? Yeah, Peterson's a corner that's been around, uh, spent the last two years with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, he's 27 years old, has also played for the Bears and the Rams. Uh, came out of Oklahoma State, uh, signed as a UDFA with the Bears several years ago. Uh, 27 years old. So all I can say on him is credit him for hanging in around the league this long. You know what I mean? I know 27 doesn't sound old, but you know how it is. The average NFL career is about three years or less. Uh, so the fact that he broke in as a UDFA, he's entering his sixth or seventh year now. Uh, good for him. He's got to, you know, he tried out for the team. He's a trial basis, right? He was at this week's mini camp on a tryout uh, uh, a situation. So he obviously impressed. They, they add him to the roster. Good for him. Second player they've added to the roster, right, in, in the last four weeks that they hosted on a tryout basis. The first was, of course, former Vanderbilt receiver, uh, Kalijah Lipscomb. So uh, here they go with Peterson. Good for him. Uh, with the Justice Reed release, um, you know, maybe I'm a little extreme, but the reason it's, it's somewhat significant news in my eyes is uh, he signed as a UDFA at the conclusion of the 2021 draft. He was one of, what was it, nine or ten guys that they brought in. So this is the first UDFA they're cutting ties with uh, from this class. Reed had a really interesting career, spent about seven years in college, played for three different schools, uh, started at Florida, uh, transferred over to Youngstown State. And then when they didn't play this past season uh, due to COVID, you know, he needed to put some more stuff on tape. He headed to Virginia Tech. Uh, Caleb Farley school. And of course they weren't teammates with Farley opting out this past year. Uh, but Reed came into Titans, took an interesting path was of course older for a rookie, given that he spent seven years in college, uh, but they've obviously seen enough uh, with him. They decided to move on and, and add Kevin Peterson to the roster. Yeah, great. And you know what? Kevin Peterson wasn't the only player that was at mini camp on a tryout basis. The Titans had a big tight end Hassan French, as well as a former offensive or a former wrestler trying out on the offensive line and Adam Kuhn. 
I don't know. Do we know if either of these guys made the team or are we assuming that they didn't make the team if they didn't sign them to on Thursday? What What are your thoughts on I that? I mean, I guess things could still change, right? I don't think there's a deadline for when they have to sign these guys. Uh, but as of now, Peterson's the only one they announced. So probably not a great sign, right, for their chances of getting signed, right. uh, so to speak. But uh, But I guess, you know, things can still change over the weekend, I'd imagine. Yeah, and we saw videos of French moving around. A huge guy. Doesn't have the quickest feet, which makes sense considering he's a six seven former basketball player. Neither of those other two guys played football in college. So that's, I mean, that's crazy to try to come into NFL camp and just to even look at a playbook must be an insane like experience for them. But yeah, you never know. They may be back for training camp, but as of now, we'll probably assume that they aren't. Anyway, let's get into the more fun topics of conversation. Those are our news and notes and mostly what we're going to discuss here is all the press conferences because there was a slew of players and coaches speaking to the media on Zoom calls this week including Roger Saffold, Ryan Tannehill, AJ Brown, Derek Henry. We got we got to hear from Shane Bowen and Todd Downing again. We also got to hear from Ryan Crow and Jim Hazlitt. Mike Vrabel spoke a couple times. So we're going to go through some of our top takeaways here. And the the one I want to start off with, probably the the only really noteworthy thing we found out is what Todd Downing has planned for A.J. Brown. And this may or may not have be affected by the Julio Jones trade. Obviously, the Titans passing offense is going to look different with Julio than it would have without him. But what we learned from these press conferences was apparently after Todd Downing got named offensive coordinator, he approached A.J. Brown himself and said, we want to put more on you this year, A.J., we want to work on expanding your route tree and help you learn to read coverages better on the fly so that you can be a true go-to receiver for us this year. Which, if you're a fantasy football player drafting A.J. Brown, you love to hear that. If you're a Titans fan who thinks that A.J. Brown's going to be a superstar, you love to hear that. And, you know, we, we often hear this nonsense this time of year about how a head coach is definitely going to get this running back 20 to 30 touches per game, and it seems like it never actually happens but this was different this almost felt like something that wasn't meant to be reported you know the titans are very typically they don't talk a lot about their plans especially their schematic plans and how they're going to use players not not specifically anyway so i thought it was really interesting to learn that todd downing the first basically the first thing he did when he got named offensive coordinator was tell aj brown he wants to get him the football more <laughs> Yeah, I love it. And my main thought when I think about this and, and comment on it is that good coaches, uh, in my opinion, are not afraid to challenge great players. You know, Todd Downing's not going to come in here and make A.J. Brown completely change his game, right, and, and, and try to fix what's not broken. But I like that he's come in and he's not afraid to challenge him. And I think A.J. will respond well to that. Say, hey, you know, maybe there is room to expand the route tree. Maybe there are a couple things you haven't run yet for us that we think you, you can handle. Right. And, and obviously, as you said, the Julio Jones trade changes everything because they're obviously, you know, you talk about fantasy football. They're obviously not going to lean on him as much as they were going to before they acquired Julio Jones. And that's a good thing for all involved. Right. They're, they're going to put a lot on his plate this year. Right. If Josh Reynolds was the receiver, too, for example. Uh, but but for me, Todd Downing so far 
is doing and saying all the right things. Because I, I really do believe that a good coach should never be afraid to challenge a great player. Great players want to be even greater, right? They want to get better. And A.J. Brown's talked about that. Says he wants to spend his whole career in Tennessee. Says he wants to be a Hall of Famer. So he's not going to back down from a coach approaching him and saying, hey, maybe there are a couple things we can expand or maybe there are some things we can do better. So for me, it's great. Uh, it's, it's, it's positive feedback and it's a way that everybody could get better at what they're doing. Absolutely. And yeah, I like what you said, Todd Downing saying all the right things. He's a little bit boring of a personality. He's very, very low key. And all these guys do the same thing where they don't ever really answer a question. They just talk about how great everyone is to work with and how excited they are to do all the dumb things that are just totally boilerplate words. But I'm glad you mentioned Josh Reynolds there because Mike Vrabel, something Mike Vrabel said on Thursday was talking about the wide receiver depth chart, I believe might have been Jim Wyatt who asked, or he at least tweeted it out, that the uh, wide receiver competition behind Julio, AJ, and Josh Reynolds is quote-unquote wide open, I think is what Mike Vrabel said. So you're looking at Des Fitzpatrick, Marcus Johnson, Racy McMath, Cameron Batson, Chester Rogers. There's a whole host of guys, Fred Brown. There's a, there's a ton of guys that are competing for, I, I didn't even say Nick Westbrook Akine was here, last year and a great special teams player there's a, a lot of guys mason competing kinsey. For, i don't know if you mentioned mason kinsey I marcus I johnson <laughs> i did say marcus johnson but i right. missed kinsey yeah so exactly my point there's so many guys at the at the back of that receiver position competing for three to four spots you think and if they don't play special teams you have to think that they stand almost no chance to leapfrog somebody who does so Someone like Nick Westbrook-Akine, I think, is in a great position uh, for back of the roster wide receiver depth in terms of his own chances to make the team because of what he offers on special teams. But overall, the the depth, apparently, it's a wide-open competition. Yeah, I mean, w one thing I want to say about this, and I don't think it's to anybody's surprise, really, but I thought it was semi-interesting that Vrabel said, you know, behind Julio, AJ, and Josh Reynolds. Right. It almost that kind of locks Josh Reynolds into the receiver three spot, which is what we were all expecting, I think, all along. But it's still interesting to hear Vrabel group him right with the top two guys. I think it's very clear that nobody's really going to catch Reynolds for that wide receiver three spot on the team. Uh, when I think of this group, Mason Kinsey looked apparently really good at this week's camp. Uh, Marcus Johnson looked really good, uh, made a lot of plays on the ball. Uh, a guy like Nick Westbrook, I like what you said there, because I, I think he's got an excellent chance to make the back end of the roster. In fact, if I was a gambling man and I'm not much of one, uh, I think Mar I think Nick Westbrook has a great chance to make this roster because again, you're two guys, first of all, they always have an advantage over rookies, right? They've been in that building already for a year. They know the playbook really well. They've uh, they've built a relationship with the coaching staff. And then when you add in what, what Nick Westbrook did on special teams last year, he made some big plays right in, in the third phase of the game. So I think Westbrook has a terrific chance to make this roster. Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, Mark, the Marcus Johnson buzz is definitely interesting. I think he's got a lot of it. So we'll, we'll have to follow that. Kinsey too. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot about Kinsey. Absolutely. I think it's going to be, and Kinsey can return punts. I think, correct me if I'm wrong. They need a punt returner. And I don't know if Racy McMath can do that, but I think Racy McMath has a long uphill battle. I think Cameron Batson, Cameron Batson so interesting to me. He has what should be a clearly defined role as like the smaller gadget slot guy, but he's been here for a few years now. So they kind of know what his ceiling is more or less 
He was awful as a punt returner a few years back. Remember, he tried to field a punt at like the five yard line against the Jaguars, and he, I think he might have muffed a punt at some point. Like he wasn't good as a punt returner. He didn't make good decisions. So I don't know what value he really offers you on special teams. So a guy in, in his position is going to be tough. You know, when you get to be a little older, I mean, yes, there's, like you said, the year two guys have an advantage because they know the system and they've shown that they can play in the NFL, even if it's just on special teams. And the rookies haven't shown that. But then it gets to the point where you get to be like the Khalif Raymonds, who's getting up there. You know, what's Khalif, like 27 years old now or so? And the Titans said, right. you know what? We've seen Khalif. We're going to let you move on now and try to find the next you, <laughs> pretty much. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point because Batson's obviously someone they like, right? Because they've kept him around for a few years now. But you do wonder if they're getting to that point where they've seen all there really is to see. And if they take a chance on a guy that's two or three years younger. But I'm excited about the I'm excited about training camp. I'm excited about preseason. I know we're about a month and a half away from all that still, but th that back end room, right? Marcus Johnson, Mason Kinsey, Cameron Batson, Racy McMath, uh, Nick Westbrook, if you want to throw him in there, there's a lot to figure out there. Fred Brown, there, there, there's a lot going on. So, and I think there's only one or two roster spots, right? Most likely for that, for that entire group of guys. So it'd be really interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's talk about Ryan Crow, outside linebackers coach. He's been with the Titans for four years since Mike Vrabel took the job. We'll get to that in a second, teaser. Um, but this was our first chance to really speak, to hear him speak to the media um, and answer questions. And I just wanted to say, like, he didn't really say anything earth-shattering. We didn't get any really good nuggets of information. But his just presence... I am very impressed by Ryan Crow. I think he came off as extremely intelligent, not just intelligent, but a really clear communicator. And I have two examples. The first one, they asked him about Harold Landry's snap count and why, or not why, but if, they, if there was any emphasis this year in trying to get his snap count lower. And without really even stopping to think about it too much, he had thought through a multi-pronged, complex answer talking about how, well, some games the defense is on the field more because they can't get stops on third down. And in those games, you definitely want to manage players' reps every so that game they stay last fresh. Season, and, not to cut you off, but every game <laughs> yeah, last season. Every game last season. And he said, and then other games, you know, the defense is playing well. They're getting off the field quickly. So 90% of snaps could be less snaps than 70% of a game where the defense is on the field the whole game. And it's like, he didn't even, like, just the speed that he was able to think of that and then how clearly he answered the question without like stumbling over his words or anything. And then there was another answer he had a bit later that was that was just like that, where he just like it seems like his mind works really quickly. And then he's able to clearly communicate what he's thinking. I just, you know, it was, you know, what, an eight minute Zoom call with the media or whatever. But I was really impressed by this guy who is a first time position coach. He's a younger guy. So in that role, you have to be, you know, a little assertive to command the respect of players like Bud Dupree, who spoke very highly of Crow in his own press conference the other day. So I think that, you know, this guy could, I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I'm seeing future defensive coordinator, bright mind on the staff that they've been, they've promoted for a reason because they don't want to lose him to another organization or something. And I'm kind of excited to see what happens with that outside linebacker group this year after last year when with Shane Bowen splitting his time so much between his position group and calling the defense that I don't think that group got the attention they maybe deserved this year. I'm really excited to see what happens. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you brought this up. And I'm not afraid to tell our listeners, it was you that wanted to talk about this, right? When you and I sat down and started planning this episode, you said, I want to talk about Ryan Crow because I was so impressed with that Zoom meeting. Uh, I went back and watched it and I was very impressed with him as well. And I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I don't know how many Titans podcasts this week are going to focus on Ryan Crow. We're probably the only one. Uh, Hopefully that makes us a little unique to the listener. But uh, yeah, he sounds very intelligent. I mean, first of all, as you said, Vrabel hired him four years ago. He's kept him on staff the entire time. Vrabel obviously really likes him. He's now promoted him to being a position coach, the outside linebacker role. And they needed that. Just like you said, Bowen spent a lot of time, you know, split his time between DC calling plays and this. So to have a guy who's now in the, in a defined role, right. And Bowen doesn't have to spend his time anymore. And a guy that clearly communicates well, processes information quickly, as you said, love the way he handled that Harold Landry question. Uh, I'm impressed with him as well. I think he's going to be a good young coach for this team, and I'm glad they were able to hold on to him. Yeah, and I kind of want to talk about the overall takeaway I had from watching these press conferences, not just Ryan Crow, all of the players and coaches. I really got this this vibe from them, and like I mentioned before, they've all been well-trained to like basically say as many words as possible while giving out as little information as possible, but... Every single player repeated the same mantra from Roger Saffold to A.J. Brown to Derrick Henry to Bud Dupree to whoever you listen to, Ryan Tannehill. They all said basically the same thing, which is you can sense the excitement that they have and the eagerness to like get to work with this roster because they all feel that they that this is like their next best chance, obviously, to go compete for a Super Bowl. And I think that they've seen the moves the team has made this offseason, the quote-unquote all-in push with – signing Bud Dupree and going out and getting Julio Jones and, and all these guys that they're all very excited, but they all reiterated how important it is to do the work and that being good on paper isn't good enough and that it this is a grind and what you put in this time of year is what you get out during the season. And just like this constant mantra of how hard everyone needs to work and how they are looking forward to doing that work. And you don't expect to hear anything else this time of year, obviously, but it was just reassuring to to be in, and encouraging to know that these guys are serious about this year. The moves that John Robinson has made has sent the signal that we talked about it sending last week. And I'm excited to see what happens when these players come back for training camp because I think they're all going to be in great shape. Everybody was at Titans minicamp. I meant to say that up front. I forgot to to say that everybody reported to minicamp, even the players who are still rehabbing and couldn't actually go out onto the field. They were all there in the building, in meetings, in the training room. So Titans aren't one of these teams with, you know, a Jamal Adams or an Aaron Rodgers or whoever that's not at minicamp this week. So that's, that's just great to see. I think they're all buying in. Even if the guys weren't at voluntary OTAs, they were obviously still getting the work in Jack rabbit Jenkins, all the reports about him were that he was a true pro came in and and conducted himself well and helping out the young guys. And so my overall vibe is that I am excited to see what this team will do this year. I'm incredibly excited to see what this team will do this year. And you said it, you know, and and it's funny. We have, it's probably the first episode in, in how long we haven't brought it really brought up his name much yet, but Julio Jones, I think that acquisition has everyone excited, right? It has every player on their toes. They look at this roster. Of course they would never say otherwise. Well, you see them bring in a guy like that, and confidence breeds confidence. Okay, we can win, 
right? That's what John Robinson believes. That's why he goes out and get Julio Jones, sending a clear message to the coaches, a clear message to the players. We believe that we can win. And that gets the players excited. They start believing it. And like you said, it breeds a positive culture, hard work, hard work, iron sharpens iron kind of thing, right? So they're all saying the right things. I think they all realize that uh, if you don't work hard, it can go off the rails. So uh, I, I believe in what they're saying. I know they're going to say it no matter what, but I do think that they realize they got a great opportunity in front of them and they're going to work hard uh, to achieve what they rightfully believe that they can achieve. Totally. Kind of want to transition now to something that Vrabel said, uh, kind of hinted at. And and this is something we've been hearing reports on for a solid week or so now. Jim Wyatt's been saying stuff about it. Buck Rising seems to think something's going to happen. I'm talking about the tight end position because you just talked about how adding Julio has everyone excited. I don't think this team's done. The way that Vrabel talked about the tight end position, the what Jim Wyatt's been saying and what Buck Rising has been saying is that this team is getting ready to add a tight end. And I think that addition could be imminent. Now that minicamp's over, they may not do anything until closer to training camp. But I think before training camp starts, the Titans will add a somewhat notable tight end to the roster. Not, not Maybe not a big name, but, it, but at least notable. A veteran. And and I agree. I mean, you said Vrabel talked about it uh, during his media conference. He, he said that, you know, he'll have those discussions with John Robinson. So for him to even be willing to say half of something <laughs> regarding it uh, is certainly interesting. You mentioned Jim Wyatt. He answered a question in one of his recent mailbags uh, where mm-hmm. he said, I believe that this team will add a tight end. It's a matter of who and when. Right. So that that's that's a pretty big statement for, for a guy like Jim to say. So it does seem like it's coming. I'm more interested in who it's going to be. Because out of like some of the guys available, you know, the Tyler Eiferts, the Zach Ertz, who might be available, I don't think those guys make a lot of sense. Yes, they're notable names, but you know, we've and we've talked about this all offseason. The biggest issue this tight end group currently has maybe is a lack of versatility, right? Furkser is a pass catcher, Swaim is a run blocker. Do they have a guy that can do both? Well, getting a guy like Zach Ertz or Tyler Eifert doesn't really solve that issue, in my opinion, right? Zach Ertz is a pass catcher. He's never been a great run blocker. So if they get a tight end, I'm very curious to see who it is. And I would hope that it would be one uh, that would address the current issue they have, which is uh, maybe being somewhat predictable with, with your personnel. Yeah, and uh, just to address some of the names out there, you may have just said some of these guys, but I'm gonna I'm looking at the Spotrack list right now. Available tight ends: Jesse James, Tyler Eifert, Josh Hill, Virgil Green, Demetrius Harris, Luke Stalker, Trey Burton, <laughs> Ross Dwelly, Marcus Baugh, Jake Butt, who was a big draft prospect a few years ago. Um, some of these Bad guys injuries. terrible injuries for Jake yeah, Butt, lots, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Um, but some of these guys are names that we've heard because, you know, we play fantasy football and you stream tight ends and every once in a while, Seth DeValve catches a touchdown. <laughs> you're like, who the heck? Why isn't that my fantasy player? Right. So like all these guys are are somewhat familiar, recognizable names, even though none of them are even close to being, you know, noteworthy players. But, you know, someone like a Trey Burton, who's 30 years old now, but he's been around the league. He's, he's spent some time with Indy and Philly and and Chicago. Could be an interesting guy. I don't know. Jesse James could be an interesting guy. Someone that I know Mike Herndon likes as a possible fit. I, like you said, you know, Zach Ertz, Tyler Eifert, those kinds of guys that are just going to catch the ball. Like, I feel like if you're just going to sign a tight end to run routes, then you might as well just stick with Ferkser, who's a pretty good route runner himself. Um I would think someone like Jesse James or a Trey Burns, probably, you know, the, the two more appealing names on that list. 
unless they trade for somebody, which would have to be like an OJ Howard or that that would be pretty shocking to me because they gave up assets for Julio. You know, right. John Robinson loves his draft capital and sure, it'd be a, a true, true all in push. I mean, if you can get him for like a seventh round pick swap, which I would be shocked for, then obviously, sure, go for it. But. Yeah, I think a trade would be really surprising. I think they're just going to sign one of these random-ass tight ends here. I think that's more likely. You said it. I mean, they gave up uh, draft picks for Julio. I don't know that they're in a position to give up any more draft picks for a tight end. Yep, agreed. Uh, And another takeaway that Vrabel said in his press conference on Thursday was he brought up, or somebody asked him about the the kicking spot. He said, right now, it's a kicking competition between Tucker McCann and Blake Hawbill. I hope I'm saying that right, who's the rookie UDFA they picked up. So Tucker McCann spent time, I think, on the practice squad last year, and Hawbill is the UDFA from Ohio State. So maybe uh, maybe Vrabel likes that guy because he went to Ohio State. But what, what are your thoughts on the current status of the kicker position? Slightly concerning, probably, right? I mean, and and uh, let's be honest, we don't know, right? We don't know about, we don't know a whole lot about Tucker McCann. I mean, they somewhat like him because he was a UDFA, right, that they brought in last season, right, at the conclusion of the 2020 draft. So the fact that he's still there means they obviously saw something potentially worth developing. Now he goes up, uh, he's a second-year UDFA, going up against a one-year UDFA uh, in, in Blake Hawbill right out of Ohio state who had a big career at OSU. So really interesting guy, again, coming from a big program, he's played in a lot of big time games and has made a couple big time kicks. So uh, it's interesting to say the least, but how confident are, obviously neither of these guys have ever kicked in an NFL game. So training camp's going to be huge for them. Preseason's going to be even bigger. Uh, do they, do, do they kick the tires on Guskowski again? Does he, is he interested in playing? We don't know. He hasn't officially retired. It wouldn't shock me if he's just skipping this portion of the off season, even if he was interested in playing, I don't know how interested he would be in participating in June, July, and so on. So uh, do you go back to that veteran that you had last year? He was good for them down the stretch, obviously started poorly, but he found this consistency. Do you call him up and, and see if he's willing to come back? Or do you put your trust in, in, in one of these young guys that, uh, that that have yet to obviously prove anything at this level? I think it's kind of crazy to take a roster that you think is – is your best win now roster that you maybe have ever had in Nashville <laughs> that you just made the quote unquote all in move for Julio Jones that you're going to leave it all on the foot of a kicker who's never really kicked in the NFL not I mean, never Mike, really has never kicked in the NFL <laughs> <laughs> they yeah, haven't never, yeah they haven't yeah exactly there was no preseason last year right Tucker McCann didn't kick last he kicked in camp last year and he made the practice squad and he wasn't even the guy when it was week 17 and they had nobody right they were like that's a good point that's really (laughs) we're gonna go sign Sam Sloman off the street rather than the guy who's been kicking in our in practice for us for a whole season like what does that tell you (laughs) so Um, but they kept him around right and and here we go um but would it would it would it excuse me sorry would it be a Tennessee Titans season without a question about the kicker? I mean, it feels like every year we're going into this thing now. It's been a couple of years now where the kicking situation hasn't been great. Yes, uh, Gostowski found it. And I probably, I, I can't, I know I can't say that. I always say his name wrong, but I know how to say his name. It just comes out wrong every time I try it. But <laughs> he, 
you know, uh, he, he found his consistency, consistency, like I said, down the stretch, but the beginning was a nightmare, right? It, it was shades of 20, 29, uh, 2020, I mean, or tw- sorry, 2019 all over again. Uh, so here we go in 2021. Could it be the third straight season where we're scratching our heads over the kicker position? And you'd think that Mike Vrabel, who was in New England when Adam Vinatieri was kicking <laughs> game-winning kicks and, of course, his his buddy, Goskowski, kicking those game-winning kicks, that he would realize that, like, yeah, you can have a great team with the, the best head coach of all time and the best quarterback of all time, and it can still come down to the game-winning kick in the biggest moment. And the fact that the Titans have not addressed the position outside of a UDFA is is pretty wild to me. But there's lots of time, you know, if we if we've learned anything this offseason, it's that there's no point in panicking about uh, positional depth too early. You know, we, we thought the wide receiver position was was a disaster this year. And now look at it. It's maybe the best duo, top two duo in the NFL, certainly top three duo in the NFL. So who knows what's going to happen at kicker. But right now it's apparently a competition between a UDFA and another UDFA. <laughs> I think it would make a lot of sense for them to circle back on Guskowski. I don't know that they will, but I mean, I, I think they probably should. If they have the money for it and the Tannehill restructure opened up $4 million more than they needed for Julio. So they got 4 million there. I think Guskowski was making like 2.75 or something close to 3 million last year. Give him 3 million, give a million to your random tight end that you're going to go sign. And let's call this a roster for, for training camp, you know? <laughs> I mean, they're going to have a couple of bucks left over. I think they can afford a kicker. I mean, Guskowski uh, played on what? I think it was $2.75 million last season. So you'd have to think he doesn't get more than that this year. There's a chance maybe he even gets a little less. So they're going to have a little bit of money left over, uh, you know, once they finalize signing all the rookies and so on. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. And, and if they're satisfied with this uh, two-year UDFA versus a brand-new UDFA battle they got going on right now. Ain't that the truth. All right, we will stay tuned on that front. All right, last topic here. Something that just hit me while I was watching all these press conferences this week, and uh, Ryan Crow actually is the one who who made me think of it. He said, this is my fourth year here. And I was like, dang, this is fourth year here? Has he been here? Is that Was he here before Vrabel? And I went and looked. I was like, no, obviously not. This is Vrabel's fourth year, which means Mike Vrabel is officially the second longest tenured coach in the Tennessee Titans era. In this team's history, since they moved to Nashville, behind Jeff Fisher, because he had Mike Munchak for three years, he had Ken Wisenhunt for a year and a half, he had Mike Malarkey pick up the other half of that year, and then he got two more years, but none of those guys, I mean, Munchak made it three years, Vrabel just finished his third year, and we are not even close to talking about firing him, right? So I think that, you know, Titans fans are still kind of think that the, uh, the jury's out on how good Mike Vrabel can be as a head coach, but I think it might be time to just accept that like Mike Vrabel is a good head coach because if he wasn't, we'd be talking about firing him. You know, even guys that are still tenured right now that were hired the same year as Mike Vrabel, like Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy, everyone talks about he's, he's doing what he has to do to save his job. And that's why Justin Fields isn't the starter yet because like doing the right thing to save his job is to play Andy Dalton as long as he can and then make the switch. And then he has more time. Like we're not talking about the fact that we're not talking about Mike Vrabel like that probably means he's going to be here for a little while. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I'm glad that you bring that up because I think he's a very good head coach and I'm starting to wonder, and it doesn't always make news, but when will they address his contract? Cause uh, this is, he's entering, as you said, his fourth season, it was a five-year deal um, that he was signed to originally back in January of 2018. 
Uh, so you'd have to think they'd like to lock him in for another, for several more years. I think he's a good head coach. I don't think he's going anywhere unless he wants to. You know, I've right. always wondered if New England came calling, if Belichick retires, I wonder if that would appeal to him at all. But And, and I certainly hope not. And that's uh, selfish and biased of me because I like Mike Vrabel. I think we need him here. We need to keep him here. And he should be here for a very long time. I think he's an excellent head coach. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, there's been some talk about how bad the defense was, especially last year under him as a quote unquote defensive minded head coach. But I also think that we put way too much stock into what side of the ball he coached before he became the head coach because he's not the defensive coordinator. He wasn't the defensive coordinator last year. He has a lot of say on the offense. Um, If you guys have been listening to the Flying Coach podcast, the Ringer NFL podcast on Wednesdays right now, they're releasing uh, what they call Flying Coach with hosted by Peter Schrager with Sean McVay. Highly recommend you check out this past week's episode because Arthur Smith was their guest. And they talked a lot about designing plays and they went into detail on um, the leak play to Jonu Smith that they ran against the Jaguars. And, you know, it's surprising to hear how much input Mike Vrabel has on plays like that and just on on offensive concepts in general. So I think we make way too big of a deal about him being a defensive-minded, whatever that means, head coach. He's a head coach. He's a CEO-type head coach. He doesn't call plays on either side of the ball, right? You know, he's not a Sean McVay who's calling plays. He's not a Brandon Staley who's going to call defensive plays, right? He's uh, he's his own guy. He's not even a Bill Belichick clone or anything. That's kind of what I think is what works so well about Rabel is that he is himself unapologetically – and he's a, he is a good leader, and that was the big thing that was touted when he was hired was uh, the Titans are looking for a leader of men. I remember how, how big a deal was made about that phrase, leader of men, but I think that Mike Vrabel's best attribute so far has been that he is a leader of men. He, he knows what it takes to win, and I wonder sometimes, you know, like when we look back on Mike Vrabel in 10, 15, or 20 years or so, like what are we going to think about that AFC championship appearance in his second season with the team because if it all goes downhill for the next three to four years, we're going to be like, how did he ever get to the AFC championship? But if that's just like the beginning of a great run, then it's like, man, we saw it early in his second year when, when they made it that far. I don't know. It just got me thinking about what we're going to what we're uh, going to think when we look back. I would be surprised if we have reached or have surpassed the peak of the Mike Vrabel success era in Tennessee. I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think we'll be looking back a year or two from now and saying, I can't even, I can't believe we ever considered that guy to be a good head coach. I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I think Mike Vrabel is here for the long haul. And I think he's got uh, a, a certainly more success uh, here in his future. I agree. I, I fully agree. Well, we did it. We went 10 minutes over what we planned to do. We're at 35 minutes right now. So maybe we should wrap up. Do you got any more points you want to make about this? No, I think, uh, I think we kind of covered everything that we wanted to cover. All right. Well, thanks to all of our listeners for sticking to this point. We appreciate you guys listening every week in the midst of the off season. Next week, uh, we're going to struggle for content because there's not going to be any press conferences to react to. There's not going to be any practices or film to look at or anything. So we will come up with some engaging topics for you guys as we start to break down this roster in advance of training camp. We'll probably put a little series together, a positional series or something similar. We did that last year. I think it was pretty successful until we abandoned that podcast and formed this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Follow us on Twitter. Justin is at Justin M underscore NFL. He's got a check mark. You can't miss it. 
I am at Titans Film Room. Make sure you're checking out broadwaysportsmedia.com. I believe you have some articles coming. I do. Uh, I spent the last couple of weeks sitting down uh, with a portion of this UDFA class. I know, you know, they brought them in about a month and a half ago now, but I decided to hold off on releasing them just a little bit before training camp so you can get familiar uh, with these players uh, as we get into July and you really start hearing more about them and their chances of making the team. I got a couple of them on the way starting Monday, June 21st, about five articles with all different players from this UDFA class, all guys who are terrific young men and, and told me their stories about where they come from and, and, you know, the college career and the path that they took here to not only the NFL, but of course, specifically the Tennessee Titans, what attracted them to the Titans and what kind of relationships they've already built with this coaching staff. So I think they're stories that you'll enjoy reading. So make sure you head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com and, and give them a read. All right. We are looking forward to that. I know you guys are looking forward to that. So make sure you check that out. Broadwaysportsmedia.com. That'll do it for this episode of the Music City Audible. As always, I will beg you guys to go find the show wherever you listen to your podcast and tap the five-star rating because that helps us grow and find new listeners. And we enjoy growing because growth is good for everyone. We should all be striving for growth. All right, that'll do it. Until next week, you guys stay safe out there. Get vaccinated and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.